what I consistently see is uh, paralysis by analysis, right? You see everybody overthinks things and they think it's got to be perfect before they do it. And everyone says they want to have a book, but they never get going on because they don't know where to start and they don't know how to make it. If you just get going, if you just do something, and that's the same thing for a book or for a business idea for that matter, right? Put the wheels in motion, start something. Don't worry about making it perfect to begin with uh, because otherwise people sit around trying to get it perfect all the time. They never actually launch anything. Welcome to the Positive Productivity Podcast, episode 662. The Positive Productivity Podcast was created to empower entrepreneurs to achieve and appreciate personal and professional success. I'm your host, Kim Sutton, and if you're ready, let's jump into today's episode. My friends, I'm so happy to be back today for another episode of Positive Productivity. It has been, admittedly, three plus months since I have recorded an episode. And that was for multiple purposes. I never liked to timestamp, but I am just going to say that once the quarantine and stay home happened, I just decided, you know, I am so far ahead in recording. I do not need to add that added stress of recording with all five kids at home. So I just pushed pause and stopped recording. So I am so excited then to be picking up recording today with one of my good friends, JP McAvoy, who is the host of the Millionaire's Lawyer podcast. He's author of the Millionaire's Lawyer book, How to Grow, How to Build, Grow, and Sell Your Business. I should know that title by now, JP. That's, that's, <laughs> that's Grow and Sell Your Business. That's grow pretty close. Sell. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe I didn't nail that one. Y'all, I designed the book cover, so I really should know. You've been the pretty proper... intimately involved with the book, haven't yeah. you? So that's good. But no, I don't want to interrupt the flow of your introduction. I always love hearing introductions, and uh, especially when they're about me. So please continue. But I don't want you to be the guest today. I want you to be the co-host. Oh, good. Okay. This Even is something better. we didn't talk about before. That that's what I told you. I would. I didn't. I just wanted to jump in and spring that on you because. You're a podcast host. I'm a cop. Right. I'm a yeah. I almost said I'm a cop. I am the bad mom cop right now. Oh my gosh! I've been laying down the law in my house. But I am a podcast host. You are a podcast host. I think that we have the power to have just an awesome conversation today because we can point it in in both directions. JP, I want to get around to how you got to where you are today. But before we get there, I want to give you props. And a big appreciation right here at the start because you've put you've been pushing me. And I hope I have been pushing you just as hard as you've been pushing me in, in the best way. My listener, you need to have accountability partners and people in your support network while you're building and growing and maybe someday selling. I don't see myself selling my business. JP and I have had conversations around this, but you need to have those people in in your business who aren't necessarily in your business who will push and challenge you to become a better version of yourself and move you from entrepreneur status to CEO status of your business. So thank you, JP, because every week when we talk, you are pushing me to become more of a CEO instead of, quote, just the entrepreneur. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for that. And uh, yeah, as you said, we didn't uh, prepare for this. Uh, so as a fellow podcaster, I can appreciate the back and forth the way that we really do it. So maybe your listeners will hear what we get into almost on a weekly basis, uh, where we challenge each other, right? Uh, uh, business is evolving, our own businesses are, are evolving. 
and we have experience working with others that we are able to uh, gather from and then share with those that are near and dear to us. And so I'm so happy that you and I have been able to share that way as well and continue to improve our own businesses. And I think in so doing, we make those around us, right? And those that associate with us and the businesses that we work with better as well. And there's been numerous examples of that where we've been able to do that for our respective clients or the people that we, from our own network, spin out and work with as well. So yeah, thank you for that. And absolutely, it's important to check in on a regular basis uh, and work with people that will challenge and uh, and uh, nudge. I always say nudge in a friendly way forward. And that's the one thing we've been able to do consistently over the last months. Gosh, it's been a while now. How long has it been doing it for months? Probably even going on years. Yeah, absolutely. I Just this past weekend, I think it was, or maybe it was Monday morning. I don't even remember what day of the week we're on. So it must have been in the last week. Let's just leave it there. I sent a text message to a mentor of mine, Cliff, Gra- Cliff Ravenscraft. I don't know. I was eating lunch. I think I'm now tongue-tied. There you go. <laughs> tongue-tied from eating my lunch. But I wanted to thank him. And maybe you've seen this in, in your case too. But I hope that you've seen that I'm no longer quite this way. That I've evolved from not being able to accept feedback as well to accepting it and listening and even implementing. I mean, you you and I dove into my stuff and we go back and forth mm-hmm. diving into your stuff, diving into, into mm-hmm. my stuff. And you gave me a couple of weeks ago, uh, I, you're not clear here. Like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. But I sent a text message to Cliff because a few years ago he had said to me, you are not ready to write your book yet. I was trying unsuccessfully to write chronic idea disorder, but I was still actively working on 15 projects at the same time. And he said, you aren't ready to, to work on it yet. I mean, send me by the end of the day, the three projects that you will work on. And I got it down to five. He says, you're not ready. You need to focus. But you've seen even in me in the last year, year and a half, where I've been cutting back, cutting back, cutting back, cutting back. And it's been painfully delicious. Yeah. And that's why I could say it. Yeah. Painfully delicious. It's because it's not an easy thing to do. Right. And, and I think the first few cuts, uh, you may not even recognize that uh, by lightening the load, uh, you're able to actually carry it further faster. Right. And uh, that's what you've been doing. I think you've been really, uh, uh, as you say, cutting or getting right down to the meat of it, the meat of it, the substance of it uh, and uh, uh, figuring out your messaging. Uh, and as you get more clear and more, uh, you know, you remove some of the added weight, uh, those around you, your audience sees that as well. Uh, and uh, what you're really good at, your genius starts to shine through. And you've got so many of those qualities that we've talked about uh, that are important to make sure that others are able to see as well. And you have, I think you've really uh, honed that over the last, uh, certainly the last six months as well. And it gets right down to now, I think, the, as you're describing in the recent weeks, we've even been uh, debating copy, right? So what the messaging itself looks like. And when you're finalizing that messaging, uh, you know, it's in black and white. That's where it comes back very, very clearly. Oh, this is what the message is. This is what I'm trying to do. This is what I want others to see. And uh, by extension, when you're talking about writing a book, uh, you've got to do that on even on a much grander scale. And so it's a big process. I know from, uh, you know, finishing uh, the book, The Millionaire's Lawyer, we just talked about uh, that you helped so much on. Thank you. Um, it's a big process, very cathartic to go through and edit and bring it down to the spot where it's the message you want to deliver in a way that hopefully is captivating to those that are reading it. How long were you thinking about your book before you started writing it? Yeah, that's a great question because the book, and I think I think most people have one in them. That book, I mean, so Millionaire's Lawyer, I've been a, I've been a lawyer for 20 years, if you can imagine. 
so 20 years in practice, you know, the first few years, you really are just figuring things out. I get that. And I certainly was myself. But for the last 10, 12 years, as I've been working with business owners, I've, I've found that I've been saying similar things to a, lot of, to, the, to a lot of the business owners for at least the last 10 years. And so for 10 years, this, this has been in me in a way that has said, I've got this, this is a book. This is the type of thing that certainly people are interested in. People pay me a lot of money to, uh, to go through a lot of the things I discuss in the book with them uh, when their respective business. So for 10 years, it was percolating. And then two years of actual writing, two years of actually sitting down and saying, yeah, this is what it is and sharpening and kind of doing some of the, the editing or the, the lightening of the load the way we just described. Two years to get to the spot where it was, uh, uh, well, two years of writing and then really, well, you watched the last year uh, of uh, getting it to polishing it and getting to a spot where it's, it's published. It's, uh, you know, it's got, it's got the cover art. It's got all the testimonials, all the things that uh, go into having a properly published book. So you were working on the book before we even met? Absolutely. I was going to say, that's 10, 10, years in, uh, 10 years of practice, that book was yeah. there. Uh, and then uh, two years of writing, yeah. uh, early, early drafts. And uh, you and I, you know, for people listening as well, you and I debated different ways of doing, uh, of even writing. Because for myself, uh, I had, had certainly written some. And then I started doing, uh, I started recording myself and having the uh, recordings transcribed. And that's when things really started to take off in terms of the, uh, the content of the book. Now, it was, still, it was still a hot mess, right? It still needed to be edited and sort of uh, synthesized in a way that would make sense to the reader. But that's when things really took off as I started to do that transcribe, have the book tra- or my message transcribed and then, and then get it edited into a shape and form that uh, could be consumed as a book. Oh, I want listeners to hear that. So if you are working on your book or you're contemplating a book, in my opinion, there is no one right way to write your book. Yes, mm. pun intended. But I guess it's not really a pun because I heard, oh, you should do it in Google mm-hmm. Docs so you can share it with your team. You should do it in Word. You should mm. do it this way. You should do it that way. Well, I'm not a linear thinker. You know that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I am anything but a linear thinker. So for me, and I have to give a shout out to a previous guest, Kelly Nataris, who told me you should really try out Scrivener. Because Scrivener, for me, allowed me to think wherever I was thinking for that day and drag and drop. And now that I'm actually in the routine every day of writing for 30 minutes, and that's another thing. People are like, oh, you should mm-hmm. set aside two hours a day, three mm-hmm. hours a day. I don't, I don't have time for that. I don't have time for that. Yet, uh, could I maybe make time for that? Or I don't know. It also it seems so daunting as well when you say set aside two hours or whatnot. You, you're doing it absolutely the right way where you say you know dedicate a half hour, just you know pen to paper or getting words on the page. Or in my case, uh, I was doing some of that and then transcribing. Spend mm-hmm. 15, 20 minutes each day doing that, and then it starts to you know take shape. It takes its own form. Uh, but just like anything else, you've got to dedicate something to it, and you get out what you put in, right? So uh, certainly sitting down and getting something down uh, is going to start the process for you. Well. You you have me cracking up over here when you say you get out what you put in. I was literally sitting in the man van in a torrential downpour watching, quote, watching my son play in a soccer tournament. Mm -hmm. And I was parked right next to the porta potty, but I didn't want to sit down in the rain. So I'm sitting there and all of a sudden click like right in my head. I knew what I wanted my intro to be about. So I picked up my phone and I did exactly what you're just talking about. Like I, I spoke it into 
notes on my iPhone. Mm -hmm. And then when I got back home, to be honest, months later, I pulled it out of notes and I put it into the appropriate section. But now my, I, I've had pages on my Macs, you know, pages where I started writing, I had Google docs, I had notes, and now it's all coming together. And I love how you said you get out what you put in. The reason I was laughing was because I was thinking about being next to the porta potty. I really hope that it's <laughs> yeah, not literally. Yeah, no. <laughs> the word product, uh, yeah, exactly, is dependent upon the effort that goes into it. Not to, yeah, yeah, you can yeah, really absolutely. draw that analogy the wrong way. And I'm going to pick on you for a second, JP, mm. because I think a lot of people, well, people can do it two different ways. They put too much thought into their branding and their mm. logo and what everything mm. looks like, and then they forget about what they're actually offering. And then they might go the opposite way and they put so much into the content that maybe the branding doesn't match up. Right. And yes. so when we were working on your book, I, I sort of said, well, this needs a little, it, it's not the millionaire's lawyer. That's right. Yeah. Where that was do one you, of the things you brought to it. Yeah. I was like, it, you need a better book cover and I'm not trying to pick on JP in a bad way, but what have you seen as far as your clients go with, spending too much time or too little time? Yeah. Well, that's a great question, Kim. Uh, so what I consistently see is uh, paralysis by analysis, right? You see everybody overthinks things and they think it's got to be perfect before they do it. And everyone says they want to have a book, but they never get going on because they don't know where to start. And they don't know how to make it. If you just get going, if you just do something, and that's the same thing for a book or for a business idea for that matter, right? Put the wheels in motion, start something. Don't worry about making it perfect to begin with uh, because otherwise people sit around trying to get it perfect all the time. They never actually launch anything. So you just hit it on the head. And I think that's what we did with my book, right? It was like, let's get something going. Uh, it's a placeholder until it's right or until it's at the quality it needs to be. But at least there's something there to get going with or get started with. Uh, I consistently see people not doing it. And those are the ones that aren't successful. You're always encouraging people and trying to get them to take that first step or the next step to, uh, to success. And that's the real key thing is just to get moving on things. What's the opposite of paralysis by analysis? Because I think the far opposite side is just as dangerous. Uh, it can be. I mean, this is what we talk about, you know, for chronic uh, idea disorder, right, is, is uh, taking a scatterbrained approach or doing too, too many things uh, without anything ever getting any kind of traction. So the way we said as well, you know, you get at what you put in, like to do just too many things in a, in a, in a, in a shotgun type approach uh, without landing on anything and, and developing something. So my book would, would have been an example, right, where working on the book and putting things together uh, in a way that uh, couldn't, you know, wasn't being synthesized. So if you are are acting and, and, and using the focused attention that we're trying to describe here, you can go back and look at what has been produced as long as there's something is produced and fine tune it from there. So I say get going on stuff and be careful not to, be, to use, use too much of a shotgun type approach because you want to be focused on what the message is or what you want to actually deliver. But the key thing is just to get going so there's actually something to work with at the end of the day. I, I just want to be totally forthcoming with the listeners out there that I helped you build your funnel mm -hmm. and I wasn't planning on reading your book. Like I, and I hate to say that. I don't think no, I ever so admitted it to you. The same thing. Yeah, exactly. But I, it went up. I wanted to leave a rating and review for you. Mm -hmm. So I, I got it. And then I started reading and I was sucked right in. And then, mm -hmm. you know, what happened was I came back and I was like, uh, 
I need a better contract. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I need a partnership agreement. Well, I love how you started to quote things from the book, right? Because as I yeah. described, these are things I've been saying to clients for years. Uh, and I loved how, you know, you were taken by the book and obviously you were, I mean, you're uh, integral to its actual completion or to see it to brought to market, but doesn't mean that you were actually required to read the thing. It's great that you started to look at it and then you start saying, hmm, that actually, oh, I get what he's saying here. This is, this is an accomplished lawyer that's talking to business owners about how they can improve their own business. And of course, you saw some of yourself in that. And those are some of the things we've been able to talk about since, right? Some things you've looked at and, you know, you cite a contract. I talk in the, in the book about how so many people, well, first of all, they don't have any type of contract and they don't have a suitable type contract. And I talk about some of the problems they get into in the book. And I cite examples of that. And I know you looked at that as well. So, hmm, I see a bit of myself in that as well. And there's ways to improve on this. JP, how can you help me there? And of course, we were able to do just that. It's important, right? Yeah, this, this is my expertise. And I'm glad that you were able to uh, take from some of my expertise uh, and learn from, apply it to yourself. And now what are we doing? Well, we're paying it forward. We're talking about it here as well in ways that listeners may say, oh, that's something. I never thought about that. Uh, contracts just being one small part of it. The other thing we talked about is structuring businesses. Big part of how a business success is, you know, again, you, you get out what you put in. If you if you start with a, a hot mess, if the company's a big mess as you get going with it, well, it's likely to end up that way as well, as opposed to stopping, like the way we just described, reflecting on it, fixing things, fine-tuning, editing, structuring, all those things. You're going to be in better shape down the road if you do all that properly. I had, um, what, no less than three different, quote, contracts, if you can call mm-hmm. them that, like mm-hmm. piecemeal contracts that I had sort of been piecing together for clients. And one of the biggest things, and I know that you, the one person who is listening right now, I know there's more than one, but I know this will resonate with you, is that scope creep was a consistent problem in my business. Mm-hmm. There were, and because I am a giver and because I'm empathetic mm-hmm. and because I always mm-hmm. want to help people get ahead of where they were, I would say yes constantly. Oh, you want that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can do that for free. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And and maybe I wouldn't add the for free, but I w- certainly wouldn't say, uh, yeah, I can do that. However, I'll send over a new contract and it will be covered under that one. Mm-hmm. If you want to proceed, then I'll send you the invoice and then we'll get started. So that was one of the huge things. So wherever you are in your business right now, I want you to look at your client contract and please have a client contract to make sure it covers, you know, work that is outside the scope of the current contract, because there's nothing that says that you need to do everything that the client asks you to do that's outside. And the other thing that I got out of, or one of the many other things that I got out of the out of JP's book was the partnership agreements. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Listeners have heard me talk about uh, purposeful parentpreneurs, which is, which started this year official. Well, no, I guess it would be last year, but it's really, it's really been launched this year with my friend and yours, Richie Mm Ote. And to make it official and to make it a, keep us protected, we really needed to put together a partnership agreement so that we could go forward and set up the banking that we needed to and process payments as we needed to, and even to protect ourselves and our family as we need to under the brand. But there were so many things that I hadn't considered. Like if if one partner doesn't show up to work consistently because the air conditioner is too loud or if it's too cold or I can't remember the exact example out of your book. How do we handle that? Because we both need to be pulling our weight. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's just it, right? Uh, people don't realize that. Uh, I mean, so a, a, a good lawyer and a, and a good contract, uh, we'll say a good contract and uh, likely prepared by a lawyer, but it doesn't need, need to be, is going to simply just set the expectations, right? It sets out the respective rights and obligations. Uh, and so it makes for good partners when you're talking about a partnership agreement where people understand what they're required to bring to it. Uh, and if they don't bring it, what the way to unwind that partnership might actually look like. People don't realize that, I mean, by doing business with somebody, you are at law a partnership, right? So, uh, the, you know, definition in the Partnerships Act is just two or more people uh, carry on business with a view to a profit. So in reality, you and somebody else doing business uh, with in the absence of any type of other structuring or any, any other type of agreement are at law actually a partnership. And with that, you, know, you kind of just hinted at it. There's no separation of personal. There's no, everything gets wrapped up together in what I'm describing in this podcast, a hot mess, right? It's just all messed up together. Whereas you put a proper agreement in place and it makes it clear what the rights are, what the obligations are, what we're going to do. And as I've seen countless times over my career, it makes for better partners, which makes for a better business, which means that it's actually a win, win, win for the people you're working with as well. You actually create something because of it. So really important to put these things into place. Uh, it fine tunes, uh, you know, something else that's becoming a theme of this podcast is it fine tunes the message and what's actually occurring and then allows for the best product to move forward. So key to do it. So key to do it. And I've been seeing it for years, obviously. And that's one of the reasons why it ended up in my book is because I've been watching people do it properly and I've been watching people do it not properly. And obviously when I'm seeing that it done properly, I want to make sure others have at least an idea about what it is because a lot of times they've never even thought about it until they've heard or they've seen it. And then they realize, oh yeah, actually that makes a ton of sense. And of course you then get it structured and you're much more successful down the road by virtue of having done so. Now to combine the law with mm-hmm. the, mm-hmm. Uh, with the accountability and the yep. dual sided mentor- mentorship that we've been offering each other, I have a celebration for you and you know, I'm transparent listeners, you know, I'm transparent. I would have waited till Thursday to tell you this, but I just need to share JP. I finally opened up a personal bank account this past weekend. Oh, good for you. Again, the separation, right? Yeah, exactly. Yes, so, the separation, exactly. The separation. So now yeah. I can officially pay myself because for years, and this is so not what you should be doing. It's all co-mingled. Yeah. yeah, it's co-mingled. Yeah. And yeah. I don't want to get myself in the legal trouble here. I mean, I've been reporting it accordingly, but... It's just hard to report though. Yeah, so this is one of the things we talk about, right? Where you have the separate ones. And this is the same thing for the partnership. So it actually, and this is the lawyer, obviously speaking, and the accountant would echo it, is you write you know, from one to the other. And there's actually a paper trail and it's easier to track. And it just gets you structured in a way that is actually at the end of the day, end of the day easier to manage. And I believe firmly leads to greater success. Well, I think it's also going to push me to be more structured and more uh, mm-hmm. focused in my business because I know what I want to be paid. But with the systems I have set up now, I know what I will pay myself. It's coming out of Profit First with Mike Michalowicz. Mm-hmm. And it says, with what I'm bringing into the business right now, I should be paying myself 50%. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to be paid what equals 50%. I want to be paid more, but I won't, I won't stretch beyond the 50% because I really want to follow the profit first plan. So to earn more, I have to make more and to make more, I need to have really clear definition of what I'm doing. Going back to you for a moment though, mm. and this is going to totally stem into my recent uh, relaxation time. I've been catching up on 11 seasons of Grey's Anatomy 
(laughs) (laughs) Yes. I'm not one to sit down and watch, you know, marathon watch TV at all. But every night I've been just watching one or four episodes, you know, and, and unwinding. And sometimes I'm working while I'm watching. But anyway, there's been the discussion of general surgeons versus, you know, cardi heart surgeons. Yes. And, you know, pediatric surgeons and mm-hmm. neurosurgeons. How how is the same same or maybe not the same the case for attorneys? Because I know that you have an areas that you focus on. Yeah. Well, in one of the previous episodes, we had Joy Vitali, who is a trademark attorney. Mm-hmm. How did you choose to go down the path that you went down? Wow, what a great question! And uh, so, yeah, absolutely. Uh, an attorney, you'd, you'd hope, just like uh, with your doctor, is specialized or has a degree of specialization. There are people that do sort of general solicitor type practices, so maybe some of the business related type things, uh, you know, in the real estate or something that would might be more of a the solicitor type role. But you do want a level of specialization. And for myself, uh, that's a great question because I always thought I was going to be a trial lawyer. Like I always thought I'd be the guy on my feet or in the courtroom, you know, arguing cases. And that's why I originally went to law school. Um, it turns out that reality is, is quite different than, uh, you know, than the perception or, you know, perceived reality. But because I'm in law school, even the, the litigation courses were fun. But once I got to private practice, uh, I realized very quickly that nothing en- ends up in court. Now, I, I know that's a good thing, or for the most part, it's a good thing for the clients. But it's not it's very satisfying for a lawyer that or, uh, that wants to be in court or uh, uh, in in a courtroom setting. So I was doing a lot of business things uh, originally, a, a commercial litigator. Uh, and I mean, it, the stats don't lie; they say that ninety six percent of cases settle before getting to trial, which again is good for people. Like it doesn't make sense f- for the most part to be in trial. But for myself, as a lawyer that wanted to be arguing cases in trial, um, when they'd settle, especially it, when they settled on and literally on the on the steps of the courtroom, uh, you know, as I'm going to trial. The morning after staying up all night preparing for trial and, and they th- things settle. Again, it's good for the client. So I, I could never say that it wasn't the right thing to do, but it was pretty frustrating to see all that work product and all that preparation really just be wasted. As I did more and more of that uh, and was working for some of these companies that were actually very successful in their own right, I started getting involved in some of the business deals. And at the end of the day, the business deals would come to fruition. They would be completed. We would be creating huge value for uh, for people. I was working for people like Elon Musk and Kimball Musk, creating these companies that were taking off with huge, enormous value, became much more personally satisfying. And despite the fact that I love being on my feet and I love to love to argue, uh, when it was all for naught, it became very, very unsatisfying. Whereas I say, when I'm building these companies and doing these deals that created these huge companies and this vast wealth for people, became quite exciting, quite enticing for me. And so that's why my my own practice has evolved in that way. As I say, the millionaire's lawyer, I jokingly, and with you, you know, offline, we joked about calling it the billionaire's lawyer because at times I thought about calling it that. A little too exclusive for my clientele. There are a number, but not uh, not that many. And my goal is to create millionaires, you know, and have millionaire clients that are growing their businesses. So that's how my own practice evolved. I was going to be a courtroom guy. Uh, I very quickly learned that that was not really the type of thing that uh, um, would would lead to the type of satisfaction I was looking for in the practice. And so that's why the practice has evolved to be a, a corporate commercial lawyer uh, on the solicitor side, growing and selling businesses or helping businesses get there. And that's that's the way things have evolved. And that's what I'm doing now with clients. Hey there, my friend. I hope you're enjoying this episode of the Positive Productivity Podcast. I wanted to take a quick moment to invite you to join the Work Smarter, Not Harder Challenge. Over the course of 30 days, these free, yes, 
free. Short videos will teach you a few of the systems and strategies I set up in my business so I can get away from my computer and back to the people I love. I invite you to sign up now at WorkSmarterNotHarderChallenge.com. Again, you can sign up at WorkSmarterNotHarderChallenge.com. How did you choose business businesses, though, over uh, individuals or criminals or defense attorneys or, you, yeah, you know, how yeah. did you choose business? Yeah. So uh, that's a, actually another great question because I, going back to the, you know, the litigator in me, uh, I always thought business, I was always thinking business. And then I looked at who the people were in court uh, and it is criminal lawyers and family law lawyers, uh, really for the most part. I mean, the, the courts are just uh, inundated with uh, uh, family law uh, and very, very unsatisfying areas of practice. I mean, you think about the people sitting in your lobby of criminals. I mean, sure, they're not all guilty, but a lot of them are. And so if you want to be in court and you're defending criminals, to say not very appealing for me. And also family law, again, you can get to court, but the types of issues you're dealing with, you know, children, divorce, things all the time. I just thought, no, not for me. So it was subject area. I was interested in business. Business again, for the most part, does not end up in court, nor should it. Uh, so that's why I realized if I want to follow business, which is what you know, my calling or passion was, I need to do it on the solicitor side. And I don't regret that at all. As I say, I've been, uh, uh, I do still get enjoy getting on my feet. I enjoy doing podcasts. I enjoy public speaking, speaking as I talk about these things. So I still get on my feet when I get the chance to do that. I'm just not doing it in a courtroom setting. And that's why I focus on business. I've always wanted to create value. And I've been able to do that, fortunately, for a, a lot uh, for a lot of people over the years. You said earlier that you like to argue, but that is not anything that I ever imagined coming out of your mouth. Well, that's interesting. So, I mean, so there's so much of it in law school, the, the debating side of things in law school and, you know, even prior to, so my undergrad, uh, I did a lot of public speaking. Um, and when I say arguing, I mean, you know, debating, take it that way, because uh, certainly even the little bit of litigation that I did, I realized uh, it it's actually not very satisfying when you're arguing in a I think the way that you're using the word where it's uh, in a, uh, you know, a zero sum, when it's a zero sum game, when, you know, people are pounding desks and it's, uh, there's a lot of animosity and there are mm-hmm. people that practice that way. There are, are attorneys that practice that way. Uh, and uh, whenever I've had to deal with one of those, uh, it's, as they say, it, it is grinding. You're supposed to be able to leave it, uh, you know, at the office at, at the end of the day. But if I've been uh, on the phone and, uh, and screaming and yelling with somebody that's a real son of a bitch, uh, I don't separate as easily. And I think that's probably why you're describing me as somebody that you couldn't imagine would uh, enjoy doing that an awful lot. Certainly the debate I enjoy, uh, but uh, a heated one and certainly anything less than respectful, I don't enjoy. And there are some people that litigate that way, unfortunately. Okay. Thank you for clarifying that because yeah, that's how I guess I was looking at it. And that's exactly what I couldn't see from you. I mean, there's ways to, to debate and discuss to get what both parties are happy with. If you want any healthy debating, by the way, you can, you're welcome at our house anytime. <laughs> That's right. The healthy kind of debate. <laughs> or the kind that makes mom gray and dad bald. You know, we have that on a <laughs> daily basis here. So yeah, would you eat your dinner or you can go to bed? So what has been the most rewarding part of your business? Hmm. That's uh that's another fun question. I've been doing some thinking on this lately, Kim, uh, because, you know, to, to, to define what I do, uh, and uh, I, I, I've reflected on, I mean, I've 
I've spent adored time at my cottage as well. Uh, and so I always think to myself, if I didn't have to do anything, what would I be doing? And, you know, I just spent the weekend driving around in my boat, uh, towing my son, uh, uh, behind it, you know, and tubing and, uh, water skiing and, uh, wakeboarding behind the boat, uh, with him and his friends. And I sure enjoyed that, but that's not work. Right. And I don't think anyone's going to pay me to do that. So I reflect, okay, so what is it and, and how have I defined my work? And the work has been, and the satisfaction has been derived from helping other already successful people become more successful uh, and in the process, create my own added success, right? So I've always said, and I I truly believe it's setting things up as a win-win-win. It doesn't have to be zero-sum the way I just described with litigators where, you know, one person has to win, one person has to lose. It doesn't need to be that way. Uh, And certainly for the type of business that I've done and the business I've created, it's not that way. If I assist somebody to be successful, it's going to lead to my own success and it's going to allow them to allow others to be successful. In other words, they could sell to somebody or they could help people themselves. It's going to lead to success. So uh, I don't know how you describe that. Uh, I say win, 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 but it's something that's sort of abundant, right? I guess is in the language of uh, uh, the woo-woo people is the, the, the idea of abundance is it's true. You can create more and everybody can be better off as a consequence. And that's what I've been doing with my own business. And I'm happy to say I've been able to do that. Uh, I try to teach that to those that work for me and those around me. Uh, because I think that we're all better off as a consequence. And so that's what I try to do on a daily basis. What does success mean to you? Success, I guess, means being able to to do what I just described, right? So where we are legitimately, we're all being left better. You know, each day is better for all of us as a consequence. Mm-hmm. So I think that's success where you can you can smile down or you can smile upon yourself and say, I was able to do that. I was able to move things forward in that way for myself and others and those I care about and those even beyond our, uh, our immediate circles. So the world and the people around us are better on a daily basis. I think when you and I were talking last week, I, I, I think it was you anyway, that I shared that I needed to change the background picture on my, on my Gmail because for years, yes, 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 yes. For years, listeners, my my background photo on my Gmail has been my dream house, 6,500 square foot house with seven bedrooms and countless bathrooms and, you know, just completely huge. But I've had the realization in the last month or so that, that I've outgrown that dream. And I know this is going to sound silly, but I've realized that my dream is not the 6,500 square foot house it's actually just making the 1300 square foot house we live in our forever home so there's going to be some modifications but i don't need the here in ohio that house would maybe cost me three quarters of a million which is still far beyond what our current house costs but i don't need that to make me feel successful so that's why i was asking you know what does success mean because that's what i used to think it meant was yes. having that house. Yes. And then the more I thought about it, I mean, you know, JP, through our many conversations, my husband, Dave, is a disabled vet. Is success and that 6,500 square foot house in 20 years, that it, just this huge house, how's that going to feel to him if he can't get around it? You mm-hmm. know? I mean, it's hard enough for him right now. And I don't mean to pick on my husband, but it's hard enough for him right now to get up and down to the basement. So is that really what we need? So, uh, yeah, and Kim, I hear you on that. And yeah, yeah, we did have a chat uh, on that topic last week. And I can't tell you how many times I've seen people with these huge houses uh, that are empty, you know, and uh, that uh, they're paying the, the repairs on. 
uh, and it doesn't not, does doesn't do anything to bring any form of happiness. I mean, that's an empty, shallow uh, um, a caricature of what uh, success and happiness is supposed to look like. Because as I say, I've seen many people that uh, then get into troubles and they're coming and trying to get rid of the house or doing something with the house. So it's certainly not a. It's certainly if it if it is the only sign of success, it's not really a very good marker. Well, that's another thing I thought I started thinking about too, because houses in the you know the one hundred to three hundred thousand dollar range in our small town go relatively quickly. But how how long would a house for close to a million dollars? How how long would they have to be on the market someday if we ever decided to downsize? And I don't want that stress down the road. You know, it may have given me a little bit of personal satisfaction upon moving in, but I, I don't even like to dust this small house. <laughs> <laughs> You're cleaning all these extra rooms. As I say, I've seen a lot of people with these big houses that are empty, or you know, they uh-huh. might be them and one person living in them, and uh, and it ends up being nothing, nothing more than a than a uh, an anchor for them. So uh, certainly, there's people that you know, if, if it makes sense and that's what they want, all the power to them. But mm-hmm. I would not define success by the size of your house. That's for sure. I was reading. White Hot Truth by Daniel Laporte this morning, and I'm getting close to the end. And I don't, this is not a spoiler. Like the book is absolutely awesome for anybody who's looking for a good read right now. But she was talking about the law of attraction and how people try to manifest more, more, more. And her stance on it was how about instead of manifesting monetary or materialism, how about we work on manifesting the feelings that we want to feel? Mm -hmm. So let's work on feeling happy rather than work on getting the money or the material objects because you can, just like you were just saying, I mean, you can get the, the fancy car or the big house and still feel just as empty as you felt before you got it. And you thought that that was going to be the magic ticket, but in the end, no, like you feel, you still feel just as empty but now you got big bills to pay for it. Yeah. How do you want to feel? And are you already feeling that way? Yeah, I think, uh, so that I uh, know that's putting you on the spot. Yeah, no, it's, um, I guess, you know, good time for this. And I guess it's not a coincidence. Uh, you know, we've had, we, you know, I've even talked about some of these things, but, uh, um, spend spending time thinking about, uh, um, purpose as well right so i want to i want to feel as though i am uh, achieving life purpose and i want to do it in a positive i want to feel it as, as a positive um uh a positive uh feeling of accomplishment uh that is that has improved things for me and those around me uh, and i get a great sense of satisfaction when i'm seeing that or i realize that that's what's occurring and so that's what i want to feel i want to recognize that uh, and uh be able to uh, experience it or feel it on as regular basis as possible. Mm. Danielle Laporte would give you two thumbs up for that. Good. <laughs> if you cared, but that, that was one of the things that she said actually helps with the manifestation is when you start thinking about those around you, it, it, it opens it up to a whole new level when it's not all about you. And I found the same to be true for me is that when I open it up to more than just what I care about and what I want, then it becomes more. I want to touch on this a little bit because you, you did bring it up uh, or you brought up the name, but Elon and Kimball. Mm -hmm. And at first when you and I met, like I was, I was more blown away by that than by you. Like, you know, I'm, I'm just being true Kim, but then it's become a constant reminder that people are people. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that is something that I regularly 
just make you know a concerted effort not to talk about because people are people are people are people how yeah they really are and you know as i describe like these these big empty houses or things as well like people like regardless they are just people and i think that people uh, the general public will put certain people on a pedestal and think that they must be for some reason different like some for some reason that they don't have to eat three meals a day and they don't have to still get dressed and they still don't have kids that they need to get to schools and all these types of things. My experience with, with entrepreneurs of all sorts, and yes, the Elon Musk's and the Kimball Musk's of the world and, you know, running the whole gamut of entrepreneurs uh, and people that you interact with uh, the teachers, the people that are teaching your kids, the people that are uh, the bus drivers, the people that are driving the bus, the people that uh, everyone has a desire to improve themselves and those around them. Everybody is dealing with similar challenges. Uh, perhaps scale is uh, is of a different magnitude, but they're all dealing with similar things and have similar feelings. Uh, and it's easy to overlook that. It's e- easy to, you know, you read the headlines and you're looking at the celebrities that are in the in the in the news. They're all I don't know how many actresses and actors you know, but they're all actually real people you know, they, on a day to day basis with families and all the all the things that uh, uh, come with that. And it's so easy to overlook it. As a lawyer, I am. I'm frequently allowed into uh, the very uh, intimate or personal matters for people. I'm preparing wills for them. I'm uh, setting up trusts. I'm doing things that uh, speak to their legacy. I can tell you consistently, they all care about their children. They all want to leave the world a better place. They're all hoping things are going to go better. Uh, And so it's just a question of how they get there themselves. These are all very personal things, but the rally is everyone's a person trying to do it, uh, no matter who you are. Where do you see personal and business intertwining? And we may have talked about this, but I've been advised in the past not to, like to keep my personal separate from my business. But I feel that my personal very much feeds into my business and what happens in my personal can very much help my community. So where have you seen, or I guess my better question would be, what's the good, the bad, and the ugly that you've seen with intertwining the two? Yeah. So, and this is, you know, speaks to some of the things we've talked about offline and even something as simple as having separate bank accounts. I believe that they are inextricably intertwined. It's, it's as much as you want to separate personal and business, um, it's impossible to completely separate them. So you need to be aware that they are intertwined. And then going back to the way we described some of the things earlier, make sure you've structured yourself for success. A lawyer is going to say, let's separate liability. Let's let's create a corporation to separate that personal and business liability. We'll carry on business with the corporation. We'll do as much as we can through the corporation. Uh, obviously, it's influenced by the personal. Obviously, that as much as you inject your personal into it, there's going to be an influence over the success of the business. But be aware that they do impact each other and then manage the impact. So one of the things you're going to do is, of course, limit the liability. We talked about even set, having setting up separate accounts. So it's there's an awareness as to what's in one uh, either the personal side or the business side. Uh, the same way that assets are held, you own some assets personally, you own some corporately. They are going to be intertwined, and I'm seeing that. And so we're just going to manage what the impact of that of what that is, so that you can maximize on each side of the ledger, both your personal and business side. Hmm. See, it's really fascinating to me because I know you have conduct law, mm-hmm. and you know you, your personal life sharing about your personal life on conduct law site, I don't know that it would add value, you know, besides sharing what you did to set up maybe 
in in your business to make mm. sure that your your family's protected. And then I so I just before we hopped on this call, I just hopped off a call with Richie Richie Ote, and we were looking at different public figure sites because mm-hmm. we're we're working on Richie's site, and we were looking, for example, at Pat Flint's, where his mm-hmm. kids are all over his site, right? And and he's raising two budding entrepreneurs, and and they're very much in it. And I I know that part of building the successful business, maybe I'm answering my own question, is knowing who we're talking to. Do they care or not? Like, is sharing about our personal going to benefit our audience in any way? Yeah, and it, I think it's two different things we're describing as well. Uh, it it's certainly your business will your type of business will dictate how much you know personal if you want to share or you know he wants to show that uh, um, you know family involvement and things, and I think that works for his brand or what he's what he's building. Um, that's not to mean to say that uh, his family members have personal liability for what his business is doing, right? So there's the attorney in me talking about even still that creating that separation or making sure that is that separation. Um, the attorney is going to is going to ensure that things are structured or hopefully uh, ensure they're structured to protect uh, and think about uh, what uh, the development for both the brand uh, the business looks like and also making sure that we're not sacrificing or uh, jeopardizing uh, the uh, the personal side for what you just described, I think it uh, moves over more to the branding as well. Right. So that's going to be uh, business specific about how somebody wants to portray themselves or project themselves for you described conduct law. So I'm uh, the managing partner of a, a traditional law firm. I've uh, branded it all conduct law. So you'll know, not, you know, not any personal, not JP McAvoy. Uh, I am one, uh, you know, one of uh, several attorneys working for the law firm uh, that's separately branded and a separate corporation. So conduct law, a traditional law firm, all of my personal brand or all that uh, I'm doing as a uh, on the business side, business coaching side, uh, and uh, the uh, podcast and book side is all branded the millionaire's lawyer. Of course, uh, you know that very well because you've helped uh, develop a lot of that. Uh, for the millionaire's lawyer side of things, it's not the practice of law. So there's a separation there is to ensure that I'm not in uh, and I don't get in any hot water with any uh, 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 with any licensing body or any law society. Uh, I'm doing the, the the business of law through conic law. I'm doing the business of business through the millionaire's lawyer, and then I own uh, uh, my uh, other. I own other assets through a, a third and separate company. Again, creating that separation that we talk about. Um, so three businesses uh, that are doing all of three corporations that are doing all of this business. And then when we talk about it being, or when we talk about things for personal, I look and I draw down from each of the three respective corporations at different times, depending on what my personal needs are. So uh, that manages things from a tax perspective because I pay corporate tax uh, at the corporate level for each of those corporations, which is lower than our personal tax rate. Uh, and then when I need, or if I need to take anything personally, I take it to myself and pay personal tax at those levels. So I'm kind of you know practicing what I preach, if you will, where I own and separate everything corporately. And then as things move over to personal, I look and I think uh, very strategically about if and when I need to take on the personal side. I just want to reiterate something that you just said, because you said conduct law is the business of law. The millionaire's lawyer is the business of business. And then you have a third. But the uh, the millionaire's lawyer is not necessarily dispensing legal advice mm-hmm. or it it might give opinions, but you're certainly not dispensing legal advice. And all over on the podcast and the book, you are always giving the recommendation to go hire their own attorney. Mm-hmm. 
to get their legal advice. And I heard you in my brain yesterday. I did a Facebook Live about the negative effects of sleep deprivation. And I heard you in my brain. So I made sure to add the disclaimer. I am not, you know, I am not a doctor. I'm not a nutritionist. I'm not a health coach. You need to, you know, hire a professional if you want more advice. But I'm just telling you my personal experience and you can take it or leave it. Because in my head, I'm even thinking back to Oprah and the beef lawsuit. Mm -hmm. I need to make sure that I'm protected. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about that for a second? Like, where do we need to... And I know this could be a whole nother episode, but what do we have to consider when we're a public figure, when we're an influencer, which we all are? What should we watch out for? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, So first, uh, we're doing business by way of, ideally we're doing business by way of corporation or separating liability that way. So it's not even just you, it's your company and you work for your company. So with that, there's something called vicarious liability. You're not attracting liability for yourself, it's the company. So you make it clear that it's the company doing just that. And of course, you got to be aware of what you're saying right? Uh, qualify things by saying, consult with your own experts. Uh, ensure that there's anything uh, being exchanged, that you're doing it the way we talked earlier as well, by way of contract. So making it clear what you are delivering and what your liabilities are for that. And hopefully you're being indemnified or to the extent, hopefully you're only uh, uh, liable or potentially liable for the value of the contract. You can limit all those things with a properly worded contract. So it's just, again, as we've been saying, being aware of how we're doing things and what we're representing to others. Um, a professional will have the additional burden of uh, licensing requirements. So, uh, for example, a doctor is going to have uh, their uh, uh, their licensing requirements and ensure that they're acting within the mandate accorded to them by virtue of their license. Exact same thing for a lawyer. So, as a lawyer, you need to be make, make it very clear when you are giving advice uh, on the basis under which the advice is being given. And you, uh, again, in a contract, uh, set out what all that looks like. So you've got an, a retainer agreement that says, yes, you're hiring me to do this, this, and this. I'm going to pay you for this. And are you going to pay me this uh, to deliver that type of service? And this is what my responsibilities will be. And attempted to, to uh, limit your liability for doing that as a professional and also ensure that you're in compliance with uh, the licensing body or the law societies that require that all those things actually occur in order for the dispense of legal advice or uh, medical advice because people and the, the courts and the, the law recognizes sort of that the higher level that somebody giving that type of advice, uh, it's being relied upon by people. So you need to be even more stringent with how it's given. General advice on a podcast, likely not a great deal of liability for it. Uh, you know, Oprah got found herself. And then there is it on occasion uh, where people will find themselves in a bit of hot water where they say things definitively and they don't qualify them in a way. So they tell people things uh, in a way that people act upon them. And if the people are injured, uh, possibly allowing that injured person to bring an action for uh, relying upon advice that they ought not to have or was not properly qualified for them. So generally speaking, we don't have a great deal uh, of liability. We've got to be careful about what we do. And then as I say, if there is to be an exchange of things that uh, might attract higher liability, to set it out an understanding by way of an agreement about what you're doing and what you're prepared to accept as responsibility for doing it. I would have to throw in there too, just you know, be, be, be mindful of personal guarantees. Yes. Because I've seen so many landing pages and sales pages you are guaranteed to get, da, 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 da. don't, just don't do that. You know, I don't even personally like uh, refund policies if you don't achieve this. Like, yeah, so and, I, and I'm not saying that you don't yeah. need to deliver what you sold, but your client or customer does have responsibility to act on what they, they buy. And you and I have both seen yes. so many people who have bought programs or courses and then not carried through 
with taking that going through the curriculum or taking the actions in the curriculum and you know the the person who sold that to them shouldn't be held responsible for a lack of success due to the client or customer's lack of action. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so again, ideally there's a contract that sets out what's being delivered and a refund policy certainly uh, ought to be defined in the contract. Uh, Guarantees, as you say, are are a dangerous thing and people might even cite a website. So something on a website guaranteeing something, it may be enough to attract liability. Um, Got to be very conscious of what you are putting out there, and if you are, you know, providing guarantees or anything that might lead to somebody suggesting they've got the ability to refund or get a refund, uh, because those are the type of things that a court, again, if it ever made it to court, uh, would probably side uh, on the side of the uh, the person bringing that type of action. Hmm. JP, I feel like we've only started to touch the surface, so I'm going to invite you back for part two. Great, and I'll I'll share with you what my thoughts are. <laughs> Listeners, just stay tuned because. Yeah, it will be good. Where can listeners go to learn more about you, get in touch, tune into your podcast and all the great stuff? Oh, that's great. Thanks, Kim. I'd love to be back, of course. As you say, you and I could probably go on uh, all afternoon with this, but hopefully yeah, people are listening and hopefully, you know, gathering something from uh, some the benefit of uh, of our experience, right? Or some of the past uh, lessons we've learned along the way and some of the things that I've been able to share with uh, my clients and, uh, and business owners right across North America and around the world, really. Uh, to find out more about the, the business side of things that we're talking about, uh, the, uh, the best way to get me is uh, at The Millionaire's Lawyer. The website, their URL for that is jpmacavoy.com. I'll just spell my name, jpmcavoy.com. So jpmcavoy.com for the Millionaire's Lawyer. Awesome. And that will be in the show notes, listeners, at thekimsutton.com forward slash pp662. So if you're driving or trying not to fall off the elliptical, don't worry about it. It will all be waiting for you there. JP, normally I open the end of the episode up for a parting piece of advice or a golden nugget, but I would love to twist that just a little bit. And based upon what you and I have gone through and what you've, how you've seen me evolve and, and uh, take the knowledge that you've bestowed mm-hmm. upon me and put it into my business, what is one piece of advice that you can offer to a listener to uh, that they should implement into their business today? Uh, that's a great question as well. I would, I would seek out advice from, uh, from knowledgeable people, uh, that, um, that can add value. Uh, people are uh, frequently, they're afraid to talk to their lawyer or their attorney. They think it's going to cost too much. I think it doesn't make sense. I'd suggest it's just the opposite. I suggest that it's going to cost you more. If you don't, you're not going to be building, you're not going to be creating value. You're not going to be doing things uh, with the benefit of astute advice, if you don't reach out. Uh, likewise, for someone that's uh, working with you or would work with you, uh, I see your, you know, your genius, your skill at actually taking messages and leveraging them uh, across platforms, across technologies. Uh, for somebody thinking or you know hesitating to make that call or make that connection, I would say to them, reach out, talk to the experts. Uh, they will pay for themselves many times over because what they're doing is they're going and creating some of the things we talked about today is that win-win-win scenario. They're creating uh, uh, the ability to expand, uh, the ability to reach more people, the ability to grow your business, uh, the ability to pay less tax, the, the ability to protect yourself. All these things can be done if you're talking to the right professionals. So anybody thinking about it or they're listening to a podcast like this, they should say, hmm, who are the right people I can talk to that help me get my message or my business to where it needs to be? Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Positive Productivity Podcast. 
When I'm not podcasting, I'm supporting six to seven figure business coaches with their marketing automation and entrepreneurs like you through my coaching and mastermind programs. I want to invite you to visit thekimsutton.com to learn how I can help you take your business to the next level.